The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. My name is Alan. Thrilled that you're here. Uh, Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're in a series entitled Fruit, and we are looking at uh, what Paul refers to in Galatians chapter 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Basic concept here is that you are a tree. You are a tree. Your life is a tree. And you can tell what kind of tree it is by what kind of fruit is hanging on that tree and what that, what that fruit, how that fruit is doing, how plentiful that fruit is, how yummy, tasty, etc. that fruit is. One can identify a tree by the leaves that are on it or by the fruit that are on it. Now, I'm no tree expert. I can't tell the difference between a, an aspen or a birch or a whatever. In it. But I can tell if a tree has one of these on it, I know what kind of tree it is. What kind of tree has one of these on it? Apple tree, you guys are right with me. Now, if there was a tree that had one of these on it, what kind of tree would it be? A trichia, it's a plantain. Okay, that's just kind of tricky. Okay, but you can tell what kind of tree it is by the fruit that's on it. If you saw a tree and it had a bunch of these on it, what would it be? Yeah, it'd be what your teenagers think money comes from. Right here, right here on the money tree. And so you look at a tree and you can identify, you can look at the fruit on a tree and you can identify what's going on, what kind of tree that is. And so Paul says in Galatians uh, uh, chapter 5, he says, here are nine fruit that you can use to identify what kind of tree you are or what kind of tree you're dealing with. And so we're talking about these nine things. And uh, so if we could uh, put up our title uh, slide, please. And once again, describe the beautiful picture that you see up there. This is a picture of, ready? Little Jenny Piccolo plays killer guitar for Granny Smith. Whoa! We're getting close. And that helps us to remember, let's say it together, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You got it. You're, you're, you're doing well. Today we're talking about gentleness. Gentleness. Oh. See, gentleness is all about being nice, right? It's all about being nice. If you have a three-year-old child and that three-year-old child picked up the remote control to your brand new 50-inch flat screen television, you would say to that three-year-old child, be gentle, be gentle, gentle. And if that three-year-old child walked over to the six-month baby with the remote control and started bonking the baby on the head with the remote control, you'd say, gentle, gentle, careful with the remote control, gentle, or whatever you might say. That, That gentleness is so connected with being nice. You want to be nice. Mike Reynolds, a few weeks back, he talked about this a little bit when he talked about goodness. And if you want to emasculate a man, just tell him that his goal in life is to be nice. Tell him that his job in life is to be nice. How many of you, when you, when you were uh, young boys, men in the room, young boys, or those of you who have boys, how many little boys are playing in the backyard and think, one day I'm going to grow up and be nice? How many boys naturally have that as their goal in life, as a thing that they are striving for, something that they are going after in life? I believe this is a reason that many men don't want to go to church. 
that many men are not interested in church because there's this perception that if you go to church, what they're going to do is they're going to tell you to be gentle. They're going to tell you, be nice. You want to be nice? Be gentle with your friends. Be gentle with your wife. Be gentle. This cheek, turn around to this cheek. Gentle, gentle, gentle. That's not what a guy wants to hear about, about why we exist, what we're doing in life. I, uh, I, I, uh, I was from Canada. Grew up in Edmonton, straight north, all the way up. And, uh, and in Edmonton, we played a lot of hockey. And in, uh, and in Edmonton, we had a lot of different hockey leagues. I mean, you had leagues for all sorts of levels, all sorts of, of ages, etc., different kinds of groups of people, etc. Guess which league in Edmonton was the roughest, toughest, had the worst reputation for fighting and for getting upset with each other and this kind of, I mean, just a rough, rough, rough league. Guess which one it was? How do you know? How do you know that? Those of you, it's the same in basketball leagues too, right? It's the church leagues. Those are the ones you want to stay away from. And you know why? Because those men go to church every week and they're told to be nice. They're told to be gentle and they got to get it out somehow, somewhere. So they join the church league and then they're, and they're going after it. There is something, there is something inside us that wants to, to come out and get out of there. You see, Hockey was, uh, now I've known some, inc- uh, some really great female hockey players. I've known, I've played with some who can sur- sc- skate circles around me, no problem. But for the most part, hockey was not created by, by women. Hockey was created by men so they can beat each other up and do whatever they need to do in, in, in that setting. And, and, and this, is, uh, this is an opportunity to kind of, the hockey was not created so that men can be nice to one another, so that they can relationally connect with others on the team and that kind of thing. That's not why it, why it, why it exists. A couple weeks ago, uh, our, the hockey team that I play with here in, uh, here in Phoenix, we play at the uh, Polar Ice, or what used to be called Polar Ice, I don't know what it is now. But, uh, but we play there on Thursday nights, and a couple weeks ago, we were in the finals. So there are eight teams in our league, and we were working towards the playoffs, and so we made it to the finals, and it's the best of three. We won the first game, they won the second game, then we went to a third and deciding game. For, uh, hockey has three periods. First period ended one-to-one, so we ended up, after the first period, we were tied. Into the second period, a, a guy on our team was right, I was on the bench, and, and, and there was a guy on our team who was coming across the blue line, and uh, he's actually a pastor of another uh, church, incidentally. And, uh, and he got hauled down by somebody, and he catches up, and he goes, where's the penalty, where's the penalty? And there was no penalty called. So this guy, he just turns around and goes beeline for the guy who hauled him down and just lays him out flat, just lays him out flat. And I do one of these on the bench, you know. And, and so then their team says, I, I don't care for that so much. And so their team comes up and starts pushing him around. He's going, whoa, whoa, what I do? What I do? What's up? What, what are you talking about? Huh? And so he's doing all this. And then more players get involved. It was the, the most mayhem I've experienced. In, in, in I mean, I've seen, you know, real hockey games. It happens all the time. But for us, for our team, it was the most mayhem I experienced in a long time. Guys were, were, were I mean, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't fighting. But I mean, people were upset. This is the 
second period of the final game of the whole season. Referees are kicking people out. Guys are banging against the glass. We'd finally get settled down. We'd drop the puck, and someone would ram the next person who has the puck and drop him to the ice. whole thing's getting crazy. The penalty box is filled with guys who are like, like there's, not, there's no room in there. How you doing? Hey, good. How you doing? And so, I mean, the place is just packed. The thing is going crazy with this whole deal. Finally, this, this whole thing in the second period settles down a little bit. We get into the third period, still one-to-one. And with five minutes left, Klaus Olsen, Olsen, guy on our team, comes across the blue line, lets a shot rip from the blue line, and it's about a foot off the ice, a perfect shot, really hard to stop by a goalie. Boom, he scores. We go up two-to-one. We hold on to the lead, and we win the whole thing. We won the championship. It was awesome. Thanks for coming. We'll see you guys next week. Okay. (laughs) We won. And I tell you, you would have thought we won the Stanley Cup. We went crazy. We just went. We just had so much. Here's a picture of me that night. There you go. (laughs) It was an awesome night. Yeah, buddy. Okay, okay. Well, that, now this is a real picture. This is a real picture of the team. This, this is a real picture of the team. Okay, here they are. These are the guys. We just went crazy. We had so much fun. The team. Our team name is called Scar Tissue. The, that's not a nice name. Okay. Now you look at these. Do these guys look like a bunch of nice guys? No, 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 no. Let me just tell you. I'm in the locker room with them. Okay, I know what we talk about, what we say. These are not a bunch of guys who said, you know, let's get together on Thursday nights and be nice. Okay, this is about, this is about uh, uh, living life fully. Gentleness is not about being nice. It, that's not what it is. That's not what gentleness is. Now, before I get to what gentleness is, because it's really an, an amazingly interesting concept that Paul has in here. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But let's talk about why we land on gentleness sometimes being nice or assuming that gentleness is about being nice. I think it's because often um, our image of Jesus is, as a gentle, meek person, is that he was all about being nice. When you think of, of a picture of Jesus in your mind, just just kind of Pop, whatever pops into your mind, you're, you're likely you'll think of a kind of a soft-edged uh, image of Jesus with, with the sun shining brightly behind him, and, and, and maybe uh, there's a lamb involved, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a tiny, beautiful little lamb, or maybe there's a, a child who's right there with Jesus, and, and, and maybe the, the eyebrows are up, because the, eye, the eye, eyebrows up, that's the international sign for gentleness, that's what a puppy does. I mean, that's... I mean, when the eyebrows go up, that's what that is. There's just kind of thing there. And then, of course, it's going to be blue eyes, which, which really makes sense for a Middle Eastern uh, Jew uh, to have <laughs> blue eyes in there, whatever this picture of Jesus might be for us. Now, now, now sometimes when, when we think of Jesus, especially if we're, if we're not familiar with some of the stories in Scripture, our conclusion might be that, that, that he's just nice and maybe even weak. Okay, Passion, uh, Passion Week, when he was sent to the cross, there's a story of Peter coming out and saying, you can't take Jesus, and, and taking a sword and cutting off somebody's ear, and Jesus saying, no, 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 don't do that, no, and fixing the ear, taking care of that. 
And he, he didn't stop anyone from uh, torturing him. And he was just, was Jesus weak? You all know the answer to that. That the answer is absolutely not. That, there, that the, the gentle, beautiful picture, yes, it's all true. Jesus is the shepherd and we are the sheep and the beautiful picture of the lamb. And Jesus said, let the children come to me. Absolutely. That is a part of who Jesus is, but it's not the full picture. Because there are other places in Scripture that make it very clear that Jesus had very much an edge to him. There were times where he wouldn't act in a way that we would call nice. I want to uh, turn you to Matthew chapter 23 if you brought your Bibles. Here's, here's an example of that. <clears throat> and again, this is not about Jesus acting inappropriately. I mean, Jesus was Jesus was perfect model for us. So we need to look at all of Scripture. And here he says in Matthew 23... He begins that chapter saying that Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, now those are the ones that Jesus went after consistently, the religious folks, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Uh, They sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And Jesus doesn't just talk about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees from a distance. He doesn't just talk about them. Here, right after this, he, he looks straight at them and talks directly to them. And he says repeatedly, verse uh, 13, he uses this phrase, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now that was an aggressive term, hypocrite, hypocrites. You're two-faced, two-faced. And he says it over and over again. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Down to verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. This is so much more sophisticated than just saying, you're dummy head or something I mean it's just Jesus Jesus was going for it he was going after him in 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 a Christ-like way he was doing this and then verse 33 says you snakes you brood of vipers how will you escape being condemned to hell you brood of vipers. He's not saying that they are a collection of really cool dodge cars he is saying he is comparing them to Satan you snakes, you brood of vipers. He was not being what we often think of as nice in, in this setting. Gentleness is not about being nice. So what is it? So what is gentleness? <clears throat> it's actually a, a very difficult uh, word to translate of all of Paul's nine fruit, it's, it's the most tricky one to get our, ha- get our hands around because there is no uh, English equivalent to the word. And so the, the best that uh, the scholars have come up with is either gentleness or meekness. Those are the two words that, that we land on in our list of the nine fruit. But I've seen from more than one source, from multiple sources, that this concept of gentleness is quite a bit I think more powerful than what we typically associate with the word gentleness. It has to do with, it's a word that is used to describe a powerful animal that becomes controlled by 
a master. Okay, it is a word, the gentleness is about a powerful, natural animal that has been, that has been uh, tamed, if you will, or, or directed towards a purpose under the leadership of a master. It is a word that would be used to describe a wild stallion, a muscular, wild stallion who gets, uh, uh, who gets invested in so that that power can be utilized for the purposes of the rider of the master. So it is not about taking, gentleness is not about taking power away from the animal or from us. It's not about it becoming weak and listless. It's about that animal becoming purposeful and manageable by the master. Not by other horses, but by the master. And so here's, here's a definition that I want to play with here this morning that, is, that just kind of flows. This isn't a biblical definition. It's just kind of, I think, consistent with some of the things that I've been weaving through here. That gentleness is about being a surrendered barbarian. Gentleness is being a surrendered barbarian. Now, some of you say barbarian. Wait, 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 wait. You went from not nice to barbarian? That's a little bit of a jump there, Alan. I, I get that. I get that. It's kind of an intentional hyperbole. And I'm, I'm stealing that word from a book written by Erwin McManus called The Barbarian Way. See, you knew I was getting to this, didn't you? It, uh, but called The Barbarian and Way. And the, the premise of this book, the concept here is saying that uh, is challenging the idea that believers are to embrace gentleness and niceness to a point where they're listless. And this, this book is challenging that whole notion, saying that there is a barbarian way that has been put in the human soul. I want to read a section of it here. Strangely enough, though, some who come to Jesus seem to immediately and fully embrace the barbarian way. They live their lives with every step moving forward, with every fiber of their being, fighting for the heart of their king. Jesus Christ has become the all-consuming passion of their lives. They are not about religion or position. They have little patience for institutions or bureaucracies. Their lack of respect for tradition or ritual makes them seem uncivilized to those who love religion. When asked if they are Christians, their answer might surprisingly be no. They are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. They see Christianity as a world religion, in many ways no different from any other religious system. They're not about religion, they're about advancing the revolution Jesus started 2,000 years ago. What about them apples? The barbarian way. Jesus did not come here 2,000 years ago to start a religion. That was not his intent, is to, is to set up groups of people around the world in churches like this so that we can learn how to be nice to one another, so that we can learn how to be nice to other people. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came here to start a revolution, to start a revolution. That's why he says to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious of his time, he says, you hypocrites, you don't get it, and it's going to change right now. It's going to radically change right now. It's going to be so revolutionary different. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say that when you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Boom. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say that when you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. You've heard it said that we are to love our neighbors. I say love your enemies. 
Jesus says it's not about a little tweak here, a little adjustment here, a little good decision here. Make a few little minor uh, adjustments to the way you're doing life and then this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. He says, Whoosh! We are, this is all totally new, overhauled. You are a new creation. The whole thing, all things old has gone. There is, there, you are a new person now. Jesus says, I want you to look differently at every area of your life. I want you to think differently about your husband, about your wife, about the whole beautiful concept of marriage, about the option of divorce. I want you to look at that radically differently. I want you to treat your kids differently. Treat your work the way you use the hours that God has given you at your work. To treat those, those, those hours and those moments differently. To treat other people differently. Not because you have to or because you've got to check off all these things and you've got to do all these deals, but because you are a barbarian. It's inside you. Go for it. Go for it. Whatever is holding you back from, from experiencing the fullness of life that Christ offers you, you go for it. Go for it. Barbarian. Ready, fire, aim, as a friend of mine used to say. There are times in life where we, where we, gotta, where we gotta go for it. Unfortunately, over the past 2,000 years, the Christian church has drifted into a, a gentle, safe religion which is not what Jesus came here to start. That's not what he came here for. Now, go for it. But there's another part of that definition that I, that I was kind of throwing out to you a few minutes back. That gentleness is about being a surrendered barbarian. And we have to remember that first part as well. The surrendered part. Because when you think about a powerful wild stallion who just runs around and, and does what, whatever he wants and, and there's kind of the, the beauty of running through the fields and across the stream and, and that whole kind of deal and the freedom that is involved there. It's great. But it doesn't have any purpose. It's just kind of enjoying I don't know what a stallion does. They look cool up on the hillside and the whole deal. But, but, but what's the purpose? A surrendered stallion or a surrendered barbarian is one that is submissive to the master, to the rider, and that's the one that wins wars. That's the one that rescues the oppressed. That's the one that has purpose, that, that makes a difference. I told you this word gentleness is, is tricky to, to translate. And in the message version of the Bible, uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, uh, paraphrase of the Bible, instead of the word gentleness, he says that, that in this phrase it says, a person who does not force his way in life. Does not force his way in life. In other words, it's not just running free and doing whatever we want as a, as a barbarian, as a stallion. It's about being surrendered to something. We don't force our way. We surrender to the rider, to the master. It's about being submissive. To the master. Now, again, we have resistance to that word, but all that word submissive means submissive. Sub means under, submarine, subway, <laughs> subpar. 
I can't think of any more. But sub means under. And then missive just means mission. We are under the mission. We are submissive. We are under the mission. Christ made it very clear the mission of the church is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. We are about loving God, loving others. In any way that I get to step into living a barbarian life, as described here in this book, in any way, in any moment where I am, am courageous enough or, or um, uh, faithful enough to step into a barbarian way, I want that always to be surrendered to the mission of Jesus Christ. Loving God, loving others. Uh, any bar- barbarian efforts are submissive, are under, the, are under the mission that Christ has given us. Gentleness is being a surrendered barbarian. This past week, a little over a week, has been, has been a rough one for many families in our church. We have lost some dear people in, in our church. Um, Jerry Oliver um, lost his mom. Elena Porter lost her mom. Um, many of you know Gretchen Lynch, who passed away last Sunday. And her funeral was yesterday. And at her funeral, uh, I, I had the privilege of, of knowing Gretchen quite well over, over the past few years. And at her funeral, I described her as, as, the, um, as kind of the, the, the poster woman for gentleness, I believe. Because, I mean, she, I didn't use the phrase surrendered barbarian, but that's really how she lived her life. That, that she was barbarian, revolutionary in terms of how she loved people. That, that she left a wake of people who knew there was something different about her. People... Uh, People would say, you, you inspire me in so many ways. And she doesn't, even, she doesn't even know how much she has been an inspiration on other people. But in all of that, in all that has happened, she struggled with cancer for the last two years. And she lost that battle just a week ago. And in that whole journey, she remained surrendered to her Lord. Surrendered to her Master. Knowing that her God could have healed her at any moment. Knowing that her God's powerful enough to do that. And that's what she prayed for. That's what we prayed for. Absolutely. But she knew that God was giving her the gift of another day, of another month, of another year. And she used that gift as well as she could. And even in her last days, they were surrendered to her master, to her rider. Gentleness is about being a surrendered barbarian. You are a stallion. There, there, There are strengths in you that God wants to use to have an impact on this world that no one else can, can do, can have. You are a stallion. Believe that. And so you have the option of sitting in a stable and, and curling up and, 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 and atrophying, of running free, just running, just running, running across those streams. And again, I, again, I don't know what a wild stallion does really. They just run and run and run and run and run in circles, it seems. That's the pictures they always, I don't know. They're beautiful and they're muscular, but they're just running. Or you can suit up, surrender to the master, and make a difference in this world. Gentleness is not about being nice. Gentleness is about being a surrendered barbarian, passionately used by God according to his purposes. Let's pray. Father, I...
I think more than uh, any of the other nine fruit. I think this one just this one just sounds and feels different than what we assume, than what we think. God, if, the, if there's anything, if in any way I'm not consistent with your heart, with your truth, God, would you just cleanse us from anything that is, that is distracting? <laughs> really, God, just purify us. But God, if, if, if this is what you intended with the word gentleness through your servant Paul, then God, would you make us come alive? Would you make us come alive in realizing how our passion has been put in there by you? That it is not about just reducing us, about coming to church every Sunday and reducing us and, 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 and taming us in every way. Instead of that, that we would be a powerful stallion, fully surrendered to you. Have your way, God. In Jesus' name, amen.